Francisco Portland appreciates its partnership with the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association in presenting their inaugural podcasts, Boiled Down. Cisco strives to be our customer's most valued and trusted business partner by delivering great products with exceptional service. Welcome to Boiled Down, the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association's podcast. I'm Greg Astley, your host, Director of Government Affairs for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. Today, our guests include Scott Dolich from Park Kitchen, Andy Fortgang from Le Pigeon and Little Bird, and Lori Little, Director of Marketing and Communications for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. Welcome, everybody. If you'd like to email us uh, during the podcast or if you afterwards have questions for us or comments, uh, you can reach us at info at OregonRLA.org. You can also find us on the web at OregonRLA.org and follow us on Twitter at Boiled Down. So before we get into our interviews, I uh, just want to give you a quick update on what we're watching right now, uh, keeping a pulse on some of the government issues that are out there. And with the legislative session just around the corner, there are a couple of key issues that we will definitely be keeping an eye on for the industry. Um, those include uh, the tip pooling issue uh, that we continue to push forward on. And at this time, we're waiting to hear whether or not the U.S. Supreme Court will take up the case. Um, of course, with the new administration, we may be looking at a new justice, but we think that before that happens, hopefully this case will be taken up by them and heard, and we'll keep you updated on what's going on with that as things happen. The next issue is restrictive scheduling, and we expect that there will be um, a bill in the legislative session that will get advanced on restrictive scheduling. Uh, we're opposed to that. We know that uh, workers and employers need to be able to deal with unexpected life events and changes and shifts due to weather and just be able to adjust their schedule um, as need be. And we believe that uh, the current information on restrictive scheduling won't work. The next thing would be launching our income equality uh, bill, which is going to help with our back of the house employees. We're partnering with both Democrat and Republican lawmakers to introduce the most progressive income equality proposal in the country. For more information on that, you can go to our website or contact me at astley at oregonrla.org. Finally, uh, on the legislative agenda, we need to strengthen Oregon's roads and bridges, and so we expect that a transportation package will be coming out of the 2017 legislative session. We're supportive of a comprehensive transportation plan that funds needed infrastructure projects throughout Oregon, and we recognize how critical that is to the success of Oregon's hospitality industry and the experience of visitors to Oregon. Other issues that we're keeping an eye on currently include human trafficking, continues to be a problem in the state of Oregon and really across the country. And uh, in fact, you'll hear a little bit more about one of the groups that uh, Orla has partnered with a little bit later in our podcast, but we continue to monitor that and keep an eye on things for you there. Last two things we have are uh, protecting uh, Oregon's tourism and uh, lodging taxes. Uh, right now, 70% um, of any lodging taxes post-2003 need to go for tourism promotion or marketing, and we want to protect that. The other 30% goes to cities, counties, and other municipalities for whatever resources they need to use it on. Every session, it seems, there is a threat to that 70% rule, and uh, we're gonna keep an eye on that and defend that uh, for our industry. 
Finally, uh, we want to ensure fairness in short-term rental housing and short-term rentals for overnight stays. There are uh, problems in the Portland area in particular, but really across the state with illegal short-term rentals endangering customers' lives, ignoring the existing laws, and trying to find out whether or not they're actually paying the lodging taxes that they need to pay. So we do have some suggestions for uh, the state, the city of Portland, as well as other cities and the counties on how they can enact some laws that were passed recently in the city of Chicago and New Orleans to make sure that short-term rentals are in fact complying and being helpful to those municipalities. That wraps up our advocacy watch for today. Of course, if you hear of anything that's going on in your area and your community, please get in touch with us. Again, you can email me, astley, A-S-T-L-E-Y, at oregonrla.org. And if there's anything you'd like to see us cover in a future podcast, you can also email us at info at oregonrla.org and just reference our podcast in your subject line. So what we'd like to do now is get into our interview. And uh, again, we've got uh, Andy Fortgang from Le Pigeon and Little Bird and Scott Dolich from Park Kitchen as well as Lori Little, our Director of Marketing Communications for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. Our topic today is going to be service charges, uh, gratuity-free restaurants, and talking to these gentlemen about some of the changes that they've made in their restaurants around that issue. So welcome, everybody. Thanks. Good to be here. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. So uh, we're going to talk today a little bit um, about service charges and tipping. There's been a lot of uh, conversations around this lately. Uh, been some changes uh, in the industry around this. And um, with the issue of higher minimum wage here in Oregon um, and also trying to deal with the tip pooling issue, uh, some restaurant owners, including yourselves, uh, have changed the way that you're doing business. And so I've... Um, I've got Scott right here, and I'm going to ask you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and your restaurants and maybe, you know, the changes that you've done. Yeah. So um, to keep keep this part brief, I uh, came out to Oregon in 1992 as a cook, graduated the Culinary Institute of America, and just came out to Oregon because I really I heard a lot about how great the food was and the food seat, food, burgeoning food scene. And I uh, worked my way through a bunch of great Portland restaurants. Uh, started Park Kitchen in 2003 by myself and with uh, seven other brave employees. And uh, have just uh, gone through the past 13 and a half years as, as a chef and owner. And now mostly an owner. So I'm, I'm not really in the kitchen very much anymore aside from research and development. Um, and that, that's really the, the short version of where I am. Okay. And um, Andy, why don't we go ahead and have you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, some of your background as well. Sure, yeah. I um, got my start in restaurants, as I think a lot of people do in the kitchen back when I was in high school. Um, uh, growing up in New York and had the very good uh, fortune and really just uh, dumb luck to kind of start out by being uh, um, the stage and the line cook at Gramercy Tavern. Um, so I'm about the luckiest restaurant person there is in the world um, <laughs> to get to start there. Um, uh, and just have always been fascinated by the restaurant industry in all aspects. Um, eventually moved to the front of the house, um, uh, married a pastry chef, and uh, at some point we decided that <clears throat> there, uh, we might want to live somewhere else. Looked all over the country, thought about different places, and fell in love with Portland and just 
the food scene here and um, just life here. I moved out here in 2007. Um, Le Pigeon had been opened, uh, I think, about a year um, and uh, got a job as a manager here uh, soon after became a partner. Um, and uh, now we've, we've been open for, I think it'll be 11 years in June. And then uh, back in 2000, January 2006, December 2000, I'm sorry, is that right? Wow, time flies. <laughs> uh, 2010. <laughs> um, in December of 2010, we opened Little Bird, and so that's six years now. Um, and just, uh, you know, just still love the business. Fantastic. Well, Andy, I'm going to stick with you for just a second. Um, so, again, the issue today is the the whole topic of the tipping and the service charges and, uh, rem- in some cases, removing all of that. And so tell us a little bit about some of the changes that you made um, in your restaurants and, and what that's meant for your employees and yourself, your customers. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, well, I would say that, you know, um, the change we made was, you know, uh, in actual execution, pretty simple. Um, we just uh, we got rid of tipping. We increased our prices a little bit to sort of uh, uh, cover the true cost of uh, paying our staff, and um, we upped our prices a bit. You know, we feel like you know we're not inex- we're not neither restaurant is inexpensive, but we just always for our entire time open kind of tried to offer value at that point. So. You know, we raised our prices, but it, they're still, you know, reasonable for, I think, the food we do and the wine we serve and, and whatnot. Um, and I think that's important because as far as our guests are concerned, uh, the move to no tipping has kind of been um, <coughs> sort of anticlimactic. You know, they, you know, we haven't really had uh, anyone complain that they um, couldn't leave a credit card tip. Um, they just come in and pay and leave. <laughs> um, so we haven't had any pushback uh, from guests in that regard. Um, uh, as far as um, staff goes, you know, um, through the process, we um, part of what we did was we were able to give our back of house a small raise. Um, so no one, no complaints there. And our front of house, uh, I think the biggest adjustment uh, was sort of a cultural adjustment. And, uh, you know, people for so long are used to working under a certain system and being compensated a certain way. And where a lot of them really enjoyed um, not it kind of changes the dynamic with the guest um, in the sense of um, you're just you know our servers are doing what they're doing uh, because they're professionals you know not for you know for an extra dollar that sort of thing so they really uh, most of them have really enjoyed that uh, for some of them it was a hard adjustment in terms of uh, people who've been servers for a long time they know the kind of the highs and the lows, you know, emotionally of a busy night. Um, and that changed a little bit. Um, but what, were, but what um, was the ultimate, you know, plus for them was, even though the busiest nights aren't as busy, the slowest nights, I should say the busiest nights aren't as profitable, for them the slowest nights aren't as uh, adversely unprofitable. <clears throat> you know, so while they were in the summer when they weren't making as much as they usually do in the summer, they were worried, but then when the fall came around, and they were making the same amount of money, um, people felt a lot better about it. Sure, it kind of helps to even out their, their paychecks. Right. And, that's, and that's one of the, you know, the, the big things we were doing, because in our mind, we wanted to make sure that we were still um, offering, you know, because for us, we want to have, like any business, the best employees you can get, and so you want to make sure that we're still 
um, offering really competitive compensation for our front of the house staff. And, you know, in our mind, the key to that was really looking at what are we giving them, how can we give it to them, how can we stay competitive and still get great people while making this change and trying to also support our back of the house a little bit more. Sure. So real quick, Andy, too, I want to uh, ask you, because I know that um, you communicated your change to your customers in kind of a unique way. You used a, a logo, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I believe Scott is using it, too. Um, the restaurateur has a few restaurants um, in New York and Brooklyn, actually, um, who created this logo um, that, you know, kind of says gratuity-free. Um, and, you know, we saw it, and I think actually Scott, I'll give him credit, he, he, uh, he, he brought it to my attention. And it, it was just kind of a, a nice way, you know, because it just kind of, a logo kind of is, is designed just for that, kind of pulls your eye to it, um, because we want our guests to see and we want our guests to understand, um, you know, what we're doing and not sort of be surprised at the end of their meal. Sure. So, um, Laura, did you... Uh you know, Andy, I was going to uh, also mention, I know I've, um, uh, I've heard in other podcasts that you were interviewed on, and, and um, you've talked about this issue before, and heard you also say that, really, um, even though you've raised prices slightly in the meals, um, have you not also just um, tried to keep the final cost of eating relatively the same for yeah, customers? Yeah, no, for sure, because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we looked at, you know, we you know, a, a year's worth of data, a 12-month period. And we looked at it, we said, what is, what's the average tip? And it was somewhere, um, you know, around, I'll just, for the pigeon, it was around 22%. And so we said, okay, you know, you know obviously some people, that, that means are tipping more than that. Some people are tipping less than that. So we said, let's, let's kind of raise our prices by approximately 20%, you know, overall, not some items more, some items less. And then, uh, you know, not give people the ability to tip, and then, you know, it's I'm not sure what, what what year you learned that <laughs> in grade school, um, you know, but it's just, you know, it's kind of simple math. It just kind of keeps the price people were ultimately paying the same. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, let me turn to Scott for just a minute. Um, Scott, you were with me on a panel at our uh, convention uh, last year where we talked about this, and uh, I was fascinated by the amount of time and preparation that you went into before you made the change. Can you talk a little bit about um, how you interacted with your customers and your staff and then ultimately what that led to your model being? Yeah. So that was a, that was a really interesting process for us. We, so we started with gratuity free in July of 2016 and we actually started talking about it in December of 2015 and uh, it, it wasn't that we wanted to go no tipping. That wasn't the ultimate goal for us. The ultimate goal for us, uh, or the, the way it started, was we were just really noticing the disparities between the front and the back of the house. And we were just playing around with ideas of how to solve that disparity or, or how, how to eliminate it. And there's that disparity between the front and the back of the house that, that a lot of people have been talking about where the cooks are, are not paid very highly and they work long hours, and the servers get paid on a higher hourly rate just because of the tips that they get, and they work less hours. It's not that they work less hard. Front of the house is very hard and very difficult to maintain that that public persona, but they were just getting paid more than the cooks. So we were experimenting with how to do that, and ultimately what we came up with 
was a system that kind of integrated the front and the back of the house is what we call one house. And uh, the only way that we could actually pay for it was no tipping. So that we wanted to be able to, to, like Andy said, take in what the real cost of the whole meal is and just incorporate that into a meal. And ultimately we wanted the, what we envisioned was the customers would pay for their meal the same way they would pay for anything else, like a pair of shoes or a sweater. Or you come in, there's the price, you pay it, and that's it. Um, so that's what we eventually did. And we started, we told our staff at the beginning of 2016, and uh, we, told our, we started to tell our customers that we were going to do it. And we knew that it was going to be a messaging issue for us because... Uh, the more we talked about it, the more we rec- recognized that it was going to be a big deal that we were going to be doing one house and no tipping. And when we started to talk about that, people were like, wow, that's how are you doing that? What is that? Why are you doing that? So um, we put a lot of time and money and effort into messaging that because we wanted to make sure people knew what we were doing, why we were doing it, and that they would s- hopefully still be able to get value from it. Um, so we told our staff early on, and most of our staff really enjoyed it. We did lose some servers for, um, you know, it's a cultural change. It was a really big sure. shift for them. Uh, the cooks were really into it. Uh, we started talking to our customers because we originally thought that we would put a service charge onto our final bill. We'd keep our prices the same, and then we'd just add about 20% because that was our, our average tip at Park Kitchen, and um, the more we talked to our customers about that, they said, well, if you're gonna do this, just increase your prices. We don't wanna know that you're charging us an extra 20%. We just want to know that we're getting value from it, and we just wanna see one price. So that's what we ended up doing, and our experience has largely been what Andy's has been too, that our, our it was a non-event. Our, we were so, we had a lot of, uh, apprehension about it at first, but our customers for Park Kitchen, they were fine with it. They were really fine with it. Yeah, I'm sure that communication was probably a, a really key part of it as well. It was huge for us. And we're finding that even though we've been doing it for, for over seven months now, um, we still have customers who come in and they, they don't know that we're doing it yet. So fortunately, we've got a lot of table literature and we're still very proactive about telling people what we're doing. And as long as we're telling them and they get the reasons why, it's a pleasant experience for them. You know, I'd I'd imagine it's probably different being in a a more fine dining restaurant than it is a casual restaurant or even a bar or tavern, you know, like others have tried and and maybe not succeeded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's been a big point that uh, I've been talking to other restaurateurs about is that park kitchen um people aren't aren't as price sensitive our, our check average is, is is fairly high so the people who are coming in they're coming in for an experience and we're delivering it and as long as we're we're maintaining value on that then we're fine and that's what we've we've really been trying to ratchet in on is how do we provide value at a given price point. We were so concerned with that day, that marking line where, okay, before this day we had tips and after this day we didn't have tips. Well, that didn't really mean so much in the end because all, all restaurants, Park Kitchen included, always has to provide value one way or the other. 
every customer is going to come in and want to whatever the price is they need to find value so as long as we're doing that we're fine i think it is tougher with a with a with a bar or somebody that's charging you know 12 bucks for a sandwich or 10 bucks for a sandwich because pennies count so yeah. people are really in tune with that sure so andy um scott mentioned the the cultural change mm-hmm. and talking with other restaurant owners in portland and mm-hmm. I would imagine that um, he mentioned losing some servers as well. Did you experience that um, no. at all? No, we um, we didn't lose anyone. Um, we had uh, one server who uh, expressed some interest in in maybe leaving, and and you know we said, well, go out, look around, you know, and you know see what's out there. And he came back and he said, he's like, no, this is a great place to work. The that pays good, and I want to stay. So we, we were able to retain everybody, which, you know, I think um, in my mind is, is the mark, mark that, you know, was a successful transition at LaPigeon. We just started it at Little Bird um, this past um, January 3rd, so just, you know, literally two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, so we'll see. But, you know, one, one positive thing that sort of came out of that in terms of, you know, <clears throat> The servers is the past couple of weeks um, in Oregon, as we all know, has just been, you know, atrocious weather. Um, you know, we had to close for a day with all the snow and the ice. We, you know, we closed early. We're usually open until midnight a few nights. And so people worked fewer hours. We had, you know, fewer guests in the restaurant. Um, and uh, while overall, you know, that was... <laughs> not good for the restaurant, you know, for the business, for the entity itself in terms of sales. Um, our servers uh, made, made less than they would have had it been uh, busier or, or normal business. But they did better under the new system than they would have in the old system, you know, which was sort of the point. You know, part of what we're trying to do is, is you know, protect them from bad weather, sporting events, you know, things like that that can really uh, be a drain on uh, – you know, on a server's income in a situation where it's, you know, tip-based. Um, but I just wanted to circle back to something, you know, Scott said, which I think is so critical, just the idea of offering um, value, and that's what, you know, dining guests are looking for, is people want to go where the food's great and the service is great. And that's, and they're going to come back if it is, and they're not if it isn't. And I think that's one of the things with tipping, where it's sort of been a, a, a poor system in terms of, um, communicating, you know, a judgment to the restaurant, you know, with, with, if people get bad service in a restaurant, they're not going to come back, even if they leave a bad tip. Sure. <laughs> you know, so, so in that regard, it never really told, it never really told anything, you know, and it, you know, and furthermore, no one, no one ever knew if someone was a 10 or a 15 or a 20% tipper. So when someone deviated from their normal, it didn't really communicate anything to the server of the restaurant either. Um, you know, and that is something that we're glad to leave in the past. Yeah. So Andy, you mentioned that you're just starting this at Little Birds. For anybody that's listening to the podcast that's thinking about doing this, and and Scott, I'll have you jump in after Andy, but what were some of the lessons that you learned uh, from doing this at La Pigeon that you're applying to starting this at at Little Bird, and and what what were those, what lessons would you like to share with anybody who's thinking about this? Sure. I mean, the the biggest lesson was, um, uh, I think at La Pigeon we sort of underestimated 
the uh, emotional factor on on the part of our front of house servers, um, and not that we did a surprise. You know, we we had meetings about it going back, you know, four months before we uh, implemented it. Um, but it really, it really sort of, you know, in a busy restaurant, people get really excited when it's busy and you make a lot more money, and and you know, then other nights you don't, and. Um, even though some of, you know, we had a couple servers who had been talking to them, they expressed to me that that wasn't, like, rational, but it, it's, it's a feeling, and it's a, you know, and if you're used to that for many, many years. So we, we tried to really be sensitive to that, and we, we also, um, you know, realized that um, doing it in the summer, um, where we implemented it in the summer at La Pigeon, uh, was sort of a, a harder time to do it because it was generally the busiest time of the year. Um, doing it um, in the winter at Little Bird seems to so far be more sort of successful from, you know, uh, from the server standpoint in terms of it. They're seeing the benefits of it right away as opposed to delayed until it slows down. Um, and the other thing we saw was that, um, and this is, I think, really important for other restaurateurs who are, who are considering it, is that... Um, you know, assuming, and, and as you said, you know, all the restaurants, Little Bird, Le Pigeon, uh, Park Kitchen, um, are, are fine dining places. Um, uh, but we found our guests to be um, a lot less price sensitive than we thought in regard to uh, food and menu items, uh, but more sensitive than we considered uh, when it comes to beverages. Interesting. Scott, anything, lessons learned that you'd like to add to what Andy's already talked about? Lessons learned, yeah. There was, uh, I, I think my biggest one was really listen to your staff and your customers. Really be in tune with what they, uh, just be proactive about asking them what they want. And don't be afraid to, to do it. Um, that was really the the biggest thing that we learned from our customers from our customer standpoint. Being transparent with your servers and and doing it for the right reason. If you are going to go, th- if you are going to implement a gratuity free system, to um, just be transparent with with who you're affecting, and most people will buy in if you're doing it for the right reasons. You, you're not going to please everybody, and you have to realize that, and you have to face that. Uh, but as long as you're being open with them and you're doing it for the right reasons, people will buy in. Uh, that would be the, the, the first part. Um, and the second part is their resources. I definitely spent a lot of time researching it and, and talking to people and asking people about it. And you'll get a lot of good advice. You'll get a lot of good advice of people who have been through it and, and made mistakes and, and altered their plan and uh, just be open as well. You're going to have to really listen and be open. Well, that sounds like a good time for us to take a quick break, and uh, we'll come right back and continue the conversation. Cisco Portland thanks you from the heart of food and service for your dedication to culinary hospitality. We also appreciate our ongoing partnership with the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. Together, we'll shape the future of food service in the Northwest and help operators grow. Want to be a Cisco customer? Visit www.ciscoportland.com. 
Welcome back to Boiled Down, the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association's podcast. I'm joined today by Scott Dolich from Park Kitchen and Andy Fortgang from Le Pigeon and Little Bird, as well as Lori Little, our Director of Marketing and Communications for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. So we're talking about service charges and tipping and not tipping and changing menu prices and some of the challenges and, and the lessons learned. And um, Scott, I'll start with you and then and get here from Andy. Um, if, if you could look into your crystal ball and you've obviously talked with other restaurant owners in Portland and around the country, um, do you see this as kind of the future, maybe particularly for fine dining? Um, but is this, the, is this a model that more restaurants you think are going to be adopting? I do think that more and more restaurants specifically fine dining restaurants will will be looking towards a no tipping model i, I think certainly from a an operational standpoint a compliance standpoint it works a lot better than the tipping model does and there's also uh i think an increased acceptance of it and i think it it's more and more you'll see restaurants who are succeeding in doing that it's tough to say how that's going to pan out for some of the other sections of dining, um, fast casual, uh, bars, less expensive restaurants. Uh, uh, that's going to be, I don't have a clear vision of what's going to happen with that. Uh, I do see technology playing a, a much bigger role eventually uh, with increased minimum wages and overtime regulations. I think that there's going to be more and more pressure to really examine how many people you have in your operation. I think that's going to be a big push. Andy, how about you? If you, yeah. uh, if you looked into your crystal ball, what do you see? You know, I, I know, you know, uh, maybe, maybe the same is for Scott, but I've, I've probably sat down with four different um, restaurant operators or owners in Portland who want to talk about how we've done it because they either, you know, are thinking about or are planning on going after this model. And, yes, they're predominantly... Uh, more fine dining places, but I think that's where um, it's going to start. Um, you know, but I do think it's going to spread. I think, you know, um, with the you know increase in minimum wage, which is happening, um, you know, in a lot of states, and I and I, I actually think that's a good thing. Um, but you know, there there has to be reaction to it, and I think what what restaurateurs are, are going to find is that. You know, just raising prices, um, you know, it's it's kind of one of the things that, you know, we see as a problem, too, um, that Scott mentioned was the discrepancy between front and back of the house pay. And, you know, if you if your labor costs go up because minimum wage is going up and you raise your menu prices, um, because of that, you're sort of giving an exponentially um, bigger uh uh, raise to your front of house because the tips will go up if your prices go up. Sure. Um, and so you're sort of that problem, which is something that's always been brewing and kind of simmering within the restaurant industry as just sort of a accepted evil. Um, I think is you know will grow and, and you know and it'll become more problematic uh, as well. Um, but I do think you know you see like you know I, I think there is a certain amount that. Um, People, I think diners are frustrated with the growth of sort of fast casual and you pay at the counter and you sit down and take your seat and then, you know, you're asked if you want to, how much you want to tip, you know. People, you know, I think that aggravates a lot of people in terms of, you know, it's like I'm supposed to tip 20%, but I 
have to bust my own table. You know, so so some of the sort of the norms have already been bending, um, and um, you know, I I think that's I think people are gonna diners are gonna really you know be happier with a more settled system of of not having to tip at all, or you know. And just knowing that people are being taken care of properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and as you've both mentioned, I think a lot of it for the customer comes down to that value and that experience. And do they yeah. feel like they're getting those things from their their restaurant? So. Yeah. You know, Andy, I think you spent some time in France, did you not? Uh, not living there, but you know, I've traveled there a few times. Oh, and, okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I. Yeah, I was Sorry, just curious. I, want, I don't want to cut you off, but I think we're, I know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, no, just curious. You know, it, it just seems like um, the European culture um, tends to be no, no tipping. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, you know, as far as coming here in America, I mean, I, I think it's just going to take a while, you know, for for our culture to sort of change that because it's Absolutely. traditionally. Absolutely, but you know, that said, it's like I, you know, uh, really like when you know it. It feels really nice to sit down in a, in a restaurant, eat your dinner, have great service, get your bill, and just get up and go. It's like, yes, you know, um, figuring out the tip is not really that, that difficult to do. Um, but it's nice to just know that, you know, I would rather be taking care of people who are doing it because they are, you know, professionals um, and take pride in their job than just for me to write $20 on the line. Um, and that's something that we found is, and that's why we, you know, as I've said over and over to a lot of people, we've never been concerned that our service was going to deteriorate at either restaurants because the people we hire are people who are professionals and they're great at what they do and they take pride in what they do. Um, they're not doing it so someone leaves an extra $3 or $5. Um, you know, and that's, and that's that's really important. I was just in... Uh, visiting family in New York around Thanksgiving time and ate at the Modern, which is one of the Union Square Hospitality Group um, that have and that have eliminated tipping and had a great meal and it was and it was really nice to just get up at the end and not have to calculate the bill and not have to say, oh, we had a bottle of wine, do we tip full on that? Do we not? You know, just you know, we just we had a great meal with great food and we just the service was great and we never doubted that it would be. You know, and it really just capped off the whole experience. Scott, real quick, can you talk a little bit about uh, the cross-training? Because I know you've spent a lot of time and effort on the, I think it's 10 full-time folks that you have working for you? Yeah, 10 full-time folks. Um, So part of what we did, as I mentioned, was uh, we switched over to a one-house system where our cooks and our servers are cross-trained to do each other's jobs. And that was really what took us the most time and effort to do. And we've, we're starting to reap the benefits of that now because we've got a very versatile staff and we've got a decreased number of staff. And the staff that are there are dedicated. Andy alluded to this, where the people that you're getting in, you're, you've actually given them a reality check and said, look, this is what we're doing as an entity. This is what we're doing as a restaurant. And in order for you to really participate, you have to be engaged. It's not all about just getting the most amount of money for the least amount of time. 
you're here because you're a professional and you, you want to be here. You believe in what we're doing. So we've seen those three benefits and they're really undeniable because especially in a time like this where it's really slow right now in January, you need those people who, who want to be there. Uh, because it's not all roses and ponies in the restaurant business, as we all know. So um, cross-training for us has really proven to our employees that we're, we're more dedicated to them, and that's really helped us out a lot. And it's given us benefits in that uh, we can, people can take vacations, people can take time off. Um, so it, it gives us a, a much better, it gives our employees a much better perspective on the entire restaurant. I would also imagine that if somebody has to call in sick, it's a little easier because you've got people that are cross-trained to fill whatever position they were supposed to have that day. Absolutely. And at least in our restaurant, we do have prime times and non-prime times. And we're able to staff our restaurant in a more consistent fashion so that we can uh, tell our employees we're, we're hiring full-time. And that means that you're going to be here you know, between 38 and 40 hours a week. And that might mean... You're cooking all day. That might mean that you're cooking the first half of the day and then you're going to be serving for two hours. But it allows us to really pinpoint when we need people and where we need people. That's great. And just so you know, uh, we say puppies and rainbows, not roses and ponies around here. So but I appreciate <laughs> hearing that from you as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> roses grow here too. They do. It's a rose city. So that's, that's very apropos for sure. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to kind of wrap things up here, but um, I'll give each of you a chance just if there's any last thoughts that you might have on what sure. we've been talking about, anything that you haven't mentioned or, or we haven't asked you about. And Andy, we'll start with you if there's any last thoughts you have for ev everybody listening out there today. Uh, oh, boy, I was hoping you were going to talk with Scott so I could think <laughs> of what I, uh, what I want to say. Uh, no, I mean, I think we covered everything, you know, and I think, um, you know, we're happy with the change, and I'd put out there to whoever's listening. I'm happy to uh, sit down and, and talk with anyone that wants to hear more about what we've done and what's worked well and, and what hasn't. Um, yeah, we're, we're excited about it. Fantastic. Scott? I think we covered a lot. It's a huge topic, and we, we've certainly seen a lot of interest in it, and I guess I would just encourage anybody who's interested in doing it or has questions, call somebody, email somebody who's actually doing it. Uh, I'm, I'm an open, open door most of the, most of the time. Uh, give me a call, email Park Kitchen, and happy to discuss it. Fantastic. Well, thanks. Again, uh, Scott Dolich from Park Kitchen, Andy Fortgang from Le Pigeon and Little Bird, thank you so much for being here. Thank Pleasure you. to be here. Thanks. And Lori, thank you as well. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Did you know January is designated as Human Trafficking Prevention Month? The Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association has teamed up with Guardian Group, a veteran-operated nonprofit to provide hospitality-specific training that fights human trafficking in America. Oregon's hospitality industry can play a critical role in preventing sex trafficking by learning how to recognize and report occurrences. Orla members get discounts on both in-person and online training. For more information, visit theguardiangroup.org. If you've got any comments or questions about today's podcast, we can be reached at info at oregonrla.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at boileddown. And I just want to thank our guests again for being here today, for taking the time out and uh, talking to us about this important issue. Again, I uh, want to remind everybody, too, that February 28th is Orla's Day at the Capitol. 
during the afternoon, we'll be meeting with legislators down in Salem to talk about issues, introduce ourselves as an industry and as individuals. And then later uh, that evening, we'll have the Taste Oregon Legislative Reception, which is a great chance for you to meet legislators, their staff, and other elected officials in a very casual setting while you're enjoying some fantastic food and beverages provided by Orla members. That's February 28th, and that starts at 1130 in the morning. Thanks again to our guests, Andy Fortgang from Le Pigeon and Little Bird, uh, Scott Dolich from Park Kitchen, and Lori Little from the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. This is Greg Astley, your host and Director of Government Affairs for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. Thank you for listening. The associates of Cisco Portland know that life's celebrations bring the best meals, wonderful moments of fun, family, and food. Cisco Trucks deliver flavor and culinary adventure to food service locations throughout Oregon and Southwest Washington. Want to become a Cisco customer? Visit www.ciscoportland.com.